0: Welcome to the Truth to Power show in Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is uh, the founder of Positively Positive Education Productions, LLC, who is a m- multiply marginalized, black, queer, transgender, HIV positive since birth, asexual, aromantic, and survivor of childhood violence. Positively positive is asexual typically. Uh, they do not experience sexual feelings, desires, nor nor are sexually attracted to anyone. Positively Positive is aromantic because typically they have no interest, desires, romantic relationships. Positively Positive is one of the artists in the entire world that has spoken word poetry, hip hop music, and workshops about living with HIV since birth and about a person who is aromantic, asexual, black, transgender, and queer. Uh, These are the demographics that are part of the LGBTQ community and missing from the overall conversation. So Positive Positive bridges that gap. Welcome, Positively Positive.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about, um, you know, typically in the LGBTQ community, we have a coming out moment. And, uh, you know, a moment where we're kind of communicating our identity to others in a way that makes them understand that identity and kind of makes it kind of clear Um you know where you're coming from to people who are not uh, in that same stratum. So, why don't we start a little bit with your moments where you realized uh, your identity uh, and and how you communicate that to others? Yeah,
1: it's been a journey um, throughout my life. As yeah. a teenager, I just identified. It's been through different identities. Like at first, I did identify like as cisgender, like woman, like in the elementary age slash middle school and then when I got to like college that's when I started identifying as genderqueer yeah. um and then I remember like when one person came out as bisexual in the 10th grade and I started questioning my sexuality and at the time of my youth, like I didn't date or like desire sex and I didn't have a vocabulary for that term but I knew I was like different I just identified like as queer at the time questioning like if I like the different genders and things like that um at the age of 24 that's when i discovered the terminology of asexuality and aromantic um within the asexual identity like at the time of my teenage years like i was sex repulsed, like i was not into you know sex and then aromantic i wasn't even into romantic relationships and when i discovered those terminologies at the age of 24 i was like whoa that was a part of my experience as a teenager and, like, early college years of, like, everyone around me is dating and in these relationships. And I was, like, always the awkward one out because, like, I wasn't even into dating. and Like, I never even had um, exes or anything. And people are just like, oh, I got married and things like that. Like, I'd be happy for them. But I also noticed, like, people don't really invite people to their weddings, which I usually find out on Facebook. And that makes me so sad, like, way to be, like, constantly be left out of my communities um so at the age of 24 is like that's when I started identifying as asexual and aromantic then I also still use the word gray um because at the age of 21 like my sexuality did shift it and at the time of 21 I didn't have the vocabulary of being gray aromantic and gray asexual because I didn't find those terminologies until the age of 24 um and then like terms of coming out uh it's just my journey like i know it's like so hard for me to like tell people like oh i'm queer i'm transgender um but then also adding like the asexual and aromantic identities um it's hard because it's like constant erasure because like everyone assumes everyone wants to have sex or to like have a relationship um i know like i'm also gray and that like blurs the line of being asexual and aromantic but i still identify as that because that was like my experience like as a teenager and like early adult in college Mm -hmm. um and also acknowledging that sexuality does change and it's also fluid but also being accountable not to like take on an identity that isn't yours so i'm always cognizant of that but i also know like those being asexual aromantic was part of my identity and i also identify as queer so it's like a very intersectional experience when i use like queer asexual aromantic or gray asexual and gray aromantic can
0: you just clarify what the word gray means i'm not familiar with that
1: gray um it's like a, it's a metaphor that's used within the asexual and aromantic communities because typically within asexuals that many of them are sex repulsed uh, some of them are like into kink so it's like very fluid for some asexuals oh. so when i say the word gray it's like a blend of like there's a spectrum of asexuals. There's, like, asexuals who are, like, completely sex repulsed, like, not really, don't even want to engage in any conversations. And then some are fluid. I used gray to acknowledge my asexuality as a sex repulsed asexual. And wow. then gray is, like, my interest and desire for sex. And I know, like, I, today, like, I do like sex, but at the time of, like, my teenagers and early adulthood, I was sex repulsed, so, like, acknowledges that experience. And when I use the term aromantic, it talks about, like, relate like relationships. Some aromantics are romantic repulsed, like, have nothing to do with dating. No talks, like, not really trying to do the marriage or the engagement. Um, some of the people don't even think, people think, like, hand-holding is, like, a romantic thing um, or, like, exchanging gifts. A lot of aromantics are not into that. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's, like, a spectrum I use the word gray to acknowledge my interest and desire for romantic relationships or desire to build long-term partnerships. Um, So I use the term gray asexual and gray romantic uh, to acknowledge my asexuality as a sex or post-asexual at a certain time of my life. And then gray aromanticism also acknowledges my a romantic identity, um, as a romantic or post-aromantic, as a certain part of my life, and gray is a metaphor to describe the fluctuating sexuality within the asexual, aromantic communities.
0: Okay, thank you, thank you. So, um, one thing I want to key on for the audience is your activism work. Let's talk a little bit about that and how you're kind of working on behalf um, to advocate for the uh, LGBTQ community at large, and specifically for people who identify in this genre of aromantic or asexual, uh, to kind of advocate, tell us a little bit about your advocacy work and what what exactly does that entail or how do you kind of promote your um, awareness, part there's awareness for these identities, yeah.
1: Um, mostly through my spoken word poetry and hip hop music, like I tell the story through my art about my identities. Um, the one thing that's hard within my identity is I did talk about asexuality and aromantic. I also talk about my experience being HIV positive since birth and I assure there's other people living with an STI who are asexual and aromantic. And it's like hardly talked about within the asexual and aromantic communities. And another thing that's hard, like being a person who's born with HIV, is like I go to the doctors and the doctors be like, So, what's your sexual history? Sometimes I'd be like, No. Like at the time, I was sex repulsed. And then the doctors be like, Oh, how did you get HIV? I was like, Oh, I'm born with it. So it's like a pre-assumption, like, Oh, yeah. I'm sexually active. But like, Oh, how did you get HIV?
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, you're born with it. So it's yeah. like.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it can lead to some. There's many assumptions that people have. And I think that's something that this episode hopefully will help people understand in themselves that they have these assumptions about the way things should be and the way things are. And being able to be open to various experiences and be kind of inquisitive, you know, replacing that kind of assumption with the curiosity and asking the right questions is very important. So, um, what, what I'm trying to think. Uh, where we want to jump into a poem or a sort of example of uh, an illustration of uh why we start with why, we, why we jump into one of those uh pieces and you can tell us a little bit about your writing well first you can tell us about your writing kind of practice and then we can jump into one of uh, the pieces yeah um so
1: this poem is called asexual and aromantic poem um most times i'm not gay enough queer enough because i don't date or love enough never had love never wanted love never been in a relationship people say i'm mars like a spaceship alien because i never wanted love been in love i got teased to rest and groped ridiculed like a joke my high school college middle school friends and family be all up in my business Trying to hook me up with someone fly. Asking me if I'm dating this guy. Your questions are pervasive. Gawking me, teasing me. As if being wanted from my body. Lest adored more into desire consume me. No air left for me to breathe in. I'm gasping for my air. I'm reaching for my queer. I'm never fitting in with these romantic queers. They say to be human, straight, queer, and gay. Is to follow these seven rites of passage love, come out, have sex, get married, have kids, engage, 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 romance, romance, romance. People gossip chatter constantly on and on and on and on and on on and on about relationship partners lovers hookups they never ever pause the conversation to focus on their friend who is lonely and silent content and complacent these conversations are deadly where do people turn to when no one is listening This world is built for romance because people struggle hella hard just to build community, reaching for my friends, reaching for my family, reaching for community. I'm constantly reaching, no one's there. I know people are busy. Why is it so hard to have a friendship show up in the city? I told my therapist what is one thing I want my friendships to know. I want to feel, feel a priority, be a part of someone's day. Say, hey... I just want to kick it, watch movies, write poetry through a text message, tell me about your day. These necessities feels as granted only to the romance, because people struggle hella hard just to build community, reaching for my friends, reaching for my family, reaching for community, I'm constantly reaching, no one's there, I know people are busy, why is it so hard to have a friendship show up in the city? This phenomenon is sad, tossing people like salad, when I know platonic, intimate friendships, community organizing, healing ciphers saved me. My life from misery gave me my first true love, rhythm, and poetry. My survival art mocked when I tell people I don't date or love enough, never had love, never wanted love. Never been in a relationship. People say I'm Mars like a spaceship alien because I never wanted love, been in love. No air left for me to breathe in. I'm gasping for my air. I'm reaching for my queer. I'm never fitting in with these romantic queers. I don't date. I don't love. I'm still queer. I'm still ace when I'm gray and horny for gay sex. I'm still arrow when I want a relationship. I'm still accountable not to pimp an identity that isn't mine. Most times I'm not gay enough, queer enough, because I don't date or love enough. Never had love, never wanted love, never been in a relationship. People say I'm Mars like a spaceship alien, because I never want to love, been in love. Uh, that's one of my favorite poems. Oh, thank you. Very nice.
0: Thanks. Very good. And I think it's good how, you know, I appreciate the rhythm and how you're, you're the... Uh, kind of elements of spoken word that are in it that make the the testimony so much more enlivened and interesting and, you know, it kind of engages the listener in that way. So it's very good. I really appreciated that. Um, mm-hmm. So I know we were talking a little bit on the pre-interview questions about um, the unpopular beliefs in the industry. And, of course, we've discussed a little bit about that, how, you know, kind of beliefs and such. But you, you actually... Speaking on seeking spiritual practices as a black person who's descendant, uh, tell us a little bit about that. The unpopular like spiritual traditions as well that have influenced you and how um how you kind of derived that. And you were talking a little bit about black culture in your answer. So tell us a little bit about that. If you expand a little bit on that idea and how this kind of how we kind of find community. A lot of the themes of that had to do with the community, and that's kind of what I was keying in on. Or focusing it on like how we can find community within uh not just like these identities but also within our culture yeah
1: i've been trying to find my own sense of spirituality without being appropriative but
0: yeah
1: but i know like i relate within the spoken word poetry and someone like shares their story about surviving trauma like oh that is a spiritual connection for me because it's like this person is vulnerable with their stories and then like perform like that poem I just there is like something that's an experience that I've had. And it's, like, not too many people realize, like, I've been in conversations with friends and they always talk about their relationships and things. Mm. And, like, I am supportive, but it's, like, I can't contribute to that conversation because of my asexual and aromantic identity. So it's, like, it's, like, hard to navigate, like, that experience. And, like, that's why I put that in that poem. It's, like, you got to check in on your friends and family. Like, hey, what's, how about that mental health? You know, Um, it's, like, other aspects of life is important, too um and then like within my art like i connect through my art as a spiritual practice um and also like running and like doing stretching is like a spiritual practice for me um i know like i am an observance when i like go to like a friend's house or, like like friend's house who are like jewish or some people who are muslim like i am respectful of like their cultural practice um and i take some of their like you know not the traditions but like the messaging within the holiday that they have and like like for example like for within Jewish community I noticed like a lot of like Jewish communities like centered around community and like family and like the importance of honoring and remembering um I take some of those like philosophy and trying to like practice within like my own life like just saying affirmations like being thankful for like the things that I have um it's like a, I guess just a constant, like, reinvention of my own spiritual practice and, like, ways that feel good.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, I would say that uh, you also... One thing I was interested in is that cultural identity as a black person, descendant, like you were saying, talking a little bit about how, um, without feeling appropri- appropriative, in other words, like, what is it... What, what do you feel is the black experience that has... You were saying about hip-hop and... Um, the connection with um, music being one of the primal centers around the black experience. But what is your experience of that cultural identity or that identity? Like what is your experience of what, what were some of the, what are some more of the aspects that you find? Do you find other um, people in the black LGBT community can, can, can engage with?
1: Um, So what do you share?
0: And what do you share in your community? Uh, You share Mm -hmm. music mainly or? tell us a little bit more about that yeah
1: it varies between person to person because like some black people like are like celebrate kwanzaa and like some of them are jewish or muslim i know for me like i'm, I'm i grew up in a christian household mm. so um also so, i know within like my immediate family like my mom and my dad's house like we were like i re- I raised like agnostic but when i spent tonight at my family like, aunt's house i went to church so I was like introduced to Christianity. It wasn't like enforced heavenly, but like was encouraged in my family. Um, then I became, um, what's that called? Agnostic. Agnostic and then, yeah. um, <laughs> do you and, consider
0: yourself I, a humanist or like a Like a you know humanist in the sense of like just kind of believing in the human experience? It seems like what I'm getting from you uh is that you kind of believe in the universal human experience you kind of have a feeling or sense towards that as human beings we experience certain things and and we have to celebrate those experiences help those ups and downs right would you say
1: i believe like in higher power or Mm -hmm. different energies but um and i know at the time i was an atheist and i was like then i was like i can't really tell people what to believe in or not So I, like, became, like, more agnostic um, and, like, acknowledge agnostics, like, in the middle, like, acknowledge, like, everyone's, you know, beliefs around a higher power or, um, or, like, the spiritual energy. Uh, And then, and then also for those who, like, are more scientific, uh, sometimes I feel like science is, like, a religion, too, but I also know um, it's, some of it's, like, factual, like, within, like, i don't know yeah i mean it seems like
0: with science that uh many people may use it in that aspect of not really investigating uh for themselves these the, the key for me in scientific method is that it opens up or empowers people to investigate have a thesis have a hypothesis and investigate and find evidence to support their ideas rather than just taking conclusions that are derived from others and accepting them as true which is more of traditionally the religious approach that by faith alone we're supposed to um, accept things and 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 proceed from those um, proceed from those premises uh, rather than investigating for ourselves but although many religious people do investigate it seems atypical of the of, of many religious communities um, scientific pro- method or scientific process is to investigate for yourself what these what these um, Experiences yield, so that's very interesting to think about and think about how you're investigating your own experiences and how um, you may see it reflected. Also, I noticed in your answers to previous questions that you see it reflected in certain stories in the general populace, uh, like Russian Doll, you mentioned as a uh, Netflix series that may may or may not be, or at least uh, explores the romantic or Asexual community. Tell us a little bit. About, I haven't seen Russian Doll, so t- you can. Uh, so, spoiler alert for anyone who, who hasn't seen it, you can spoil it as much as you'd like. Um, you know, just tell us a little bit about how you felt that was reflective of the aromantic. In what way did that connect with you? Uh,
1: Russian Doll is a comedy, and it's about this woman. I think she lives in Brooklyn, and she like dies repetitiously throughout the different episodes. Uh, i think there's two seasons only watch the first season and it's about her like coming back to life like each episode and it's like she's caught in a repetitious loop i'm not sure if that character the, the character herself like identifies as aromantic but i felt like it was there because it was just like um it was like a parody like she wasn't dating but it wasn't like there's was, like no forced subplot it was just like her coming back to life recurring. yeah um and that's, like, about her just going back to life, but had no, like, romantic subplots or anything like that. Um, but I felt like it was a good representation of that community, but I'm not sure if the character actually identifies as romantic because it was never, like, disclosed within any scenes about the sexual orientation of this character.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting how in storylines, always forcing a romantic subplot, The and I see what you're saying about the absence of that is notable because uh in many storylines they feel the need to somehow include some kind of romance within the characters and that and even the discussion i had on a thread on facebook was about how uh male female friendships are sometimes exploited for romantic you, even in enemy characters um you know many characters and storylines they they're, they're kind of Many the studios will be shy to just have a friendship they feel like they need to explore some romantic element there's a pressure to explore some romantic element rather than just letting letting these characters you know exist together a lot of times they feel like they the shippers and all that have these many different subplots about how characters should be such and such character should be with such and such a character and it's always like that's really how culturally we're shifting towards you know, um, always finding new, newer and newer pairings rather than just allowing people to experience their um, relationships without this element. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And also we were talking a little bit about Watchmen uh, and how the, uh, the support for um, communities that they represent in that show is lacking. Originally, we talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, we were worried that Trump supporters might reelect Trump. But then this—that uh, was prior to the election. But then ultimately, the election came out for Biden. But we—we we were talking about how the support for these communities, for our communities, should continue regardless of who's in power. We should continue to hold people accountable. So you can explore a little bit of your returning to your advocacy work how you're kind of you were telling me a little bit about how you're going to be uh engaged with the governance to make sure they're remembering these communities and make sure tell us a little bit more about that uh your experience with activism and all that
1: um i guess i started with activism when i got into an organization called You Speak Seattle. Um, you Speaks Speak is an organization all across the US, um, which they work with young people between the ages of 13 and 19, and they introduce them to spoken word poetry by doing like workshops and like how to tell a story and how to engage with your audience. So that's where, like, my love of spoken word poetry came from, was from Youth Speaks. And within You Speaks, they taught me about social justice and, like, intersectionality and, like, you know, the oppressive systems of capitalism. Within, like, that training, I got, like, my vernaculars about, like, you know, the terminology of, like, um, white privilege, et cetera, or, like, male privilege, things. And then also sharing poems. And when I, like, share poems as an activism, because, like, sharing a piece of myself or identity about the world in large and like people relate to my poems because like I talk about different topics um so I feel like that's activism when someone like shares something that could be like a poem it could be like a music or like like playing the clarinet or simply just like showing up within the protest um so there's different types of activism which is totally
0: important and valid yeah and also um one thing that came across my mind was um you know we we're talking a little bit of activism a little bit about uh telling your story kind of testifying finding your truth and helping it to empower you is something um so talking about empowerment this is the major theme of the show this is the truth to power show on radio for brooklyn uh we're here with positively positive uh an advocate and um and and poet uh, advocate for the asexual a romantic community for lgbt community in large and um we're kind of bridging the gap you're talking a little bit about how uh there's a missing piece from the overall conversation and we'll be discussing that pretty primarily but also um you know kind of how this can inform how kind of uh the, we were talking a little bit about how i'm just kind of recapping what we've been talking about we were also talking a little bit about how you know this can inform uh people who do, people who identify or do not identify as asexual or a romantic because it's like this this is so sociologically or culturally we're shifting towards such a focus on love as being romantic love as opposed to love as being um you know caring feelings you know there's many different gradations and and understandings of the word love and of course you know we all experience self-love self-caring we experience that kind of community love brotherhood love brotherly love uh, or sisterly love or 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 kind of this kind of familial love um, more broadly Um, and how kind of these kinds of enriching experiences can really solidify our experience in the human experience and how um, you know kind of yeah what do you think and what are your thoughts we can go into another poem in a few minutes as well if you'd like we're about the halfway mark so yeah what are your thoughts what's coming up for you
1: yeah it's important to acknowledge like different types of love that exist such as platonic love um community i know when i go to like a community event like a workshop or an open mic i can just like see the look of everyone's face like everyone's so lonely and people are just like so happy We're like hey what's up buddy or hey friend and they're just like so happy and then like i notice when like i leave the space i feel so sad with like oh i miss all of these people yeah um and i realize i feel like i miss like more of my friendships and family more than i do the romantic kind i do appreciate like romantic connections but like I learned so much from my friends and from my family. It's just like so sad, like people don't put any effort in those friendship connections or community-centered spaces. Mm. Um, without like you speaks Seattle, I would have like you know died. And like a lot, I met a lot of my friends through organizing and like keep and keeping me like accountable. So, like, ha- like, having conversations with friends and family, like, I appreciate when people support, you know, show up with that social-emotional intimacy, but sometimes I feel like social-emotional intimacy is so gate-kept, because I feel like it's only attainable within romantic relationships, mm. and that mentality is, like, so traumatizing, trying to access support and, like, not receiving it from, you know, friendships and family connections because of the inferences of romantic relationships, um... And I feel like, you know, community spaces as well as like friendships are just as important as the romantic relationships within the world.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I think it's very interesting to think about how we can interrogate our gatekeeping ability. You know, uh, all of us are gatekeepers in a way. And the ways in which we put up blocks towards people who are not Um, you know, if we're in a relationship, then we want to be with people who are in a relationship. If we're not in a relationship, then we want to be with people who are not in a relationship. And how we kind of have the gatekeeper mentality in um, in our own lives. And interrogating that is important. I think that's kind of the takeaway for me from this conversation, is that I hope all listeners will take a moment to reflect on in what ways do they engage with people they meet, is there like a filter in their mind? Is there like a way in which we kind of say, oh, like um, I'm, I'm identifying such and such and I want to be with people who identify as such and such. And in what way is that undermining our abilities to really expand on our circles and really expand on our experiences rather than just be creating echo chambers, really. You know, it's like we're creating echo chambers where we're just kind of reverberating with the people who... Um, agree with us in a way we're not expanding or going outside of our comfort zone i think um so why don't we listen to another piece by you and then we can proceed from there Yeah, you know, just select on the piece and you can talk a little bit about it your process after you finish the piece thank you
1: um this poem is called understanding violence at the intersections of accountability does have trigger warning it deals with sexual assault um it's an important piece because it just talks about the accountability uh, for individual people, uh, surviving trauma is difficult. Living in trauma is triggering. Causing trauma intentionally or unintentionally is rough. It is the constant accountability, the constant improvement of human. Your behavior, face, emotions, power, body, words, hands, hair, scent, eyes, fists, and name are all weapons, weapons that trigger the reminders of constant screams from childhood violence, including the unwanted touches from lovers, friends, family, chosen family, and from strangers, including the blood splatters on the wall, most fights and arguments, parents yelling and screaming, including Trayvon Martin, say her name, Vincent Chin. Deaths in my communities, including the constant reminders of how I was that person who who harmed, just like those abusers from my own experiences with trauma. The little voice in my head is gossiping. I don't care about your abusers' trauma and how hard it is for them to survive. Don't support perpetuators, even if the perpetuator is me. How to love and to forgive the harm. How to be accountable and not be a monster like David Bowie, Bill Cosby, Ed Murray, the mayor in Seattle, Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, my father. The list goes on and on and on and on. Thank you. And on. It includes the names of all of our abusers and our own Families in our own social justice communities, including ourselves, myself included. My face and essence are reminders of triggers of survivors I've harmed. Why do we trivialize trauma? Rape, abuse, violence, and sexual assault. As if it's not real. Not real for the survivor experiencing and witnessing fragments of glass shards in my body. Dancing with empathy, accountability, and with trauma. I'm a survivor who harmed other survivors. I don't care about your abuser's trauma. The same voice repeats in my head. I am the abuser that says, heal, run from your mistakes and prove. I am not good enough. I am wicked and evil. I don't care about your feelings, I must push, 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 push those boundaries to force people to like me. I am both voices. I am the survivor and I am the abuser. Conflicting idea ideolo- all conflicting ideologies, respect and give space or to take space and conquer. I always respect the wishes of the survivor because I know the importance of boundaries. I'm a survivor, too. Even though I'm a survivor, it still doesn't exclude me from being a perpetuator. Don't pedestal me a picture-perfect person with an ideal saver mentality. This type of thinking silences survivors while supporting the abusers. How to coexist and share the same space, crossing paths at events to say hello when the trauma is still present for the survivor. How to communicate trauma as a survivor who caused harm. I want to tell people it is difficult for me to share with people when they've harmed me. I don't take their apology seriously. Only your commitment to end the violence, to end the trauma. I can forgive, but I can never forget. I can forgive, but I can wish to never see your face again. Even acknowledging when people don't want to see my face because I am that monster.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So walk us through a little bit of your process, uh, creative process, and how you come to the different poems you write. Like a little bit of kind of the the molding experience. Like you have, a, uh, it seems like here, you have like the idea of um, perpetuation of ideas and how one thing I kind of latched onto, I kind of keyed in on, is the idea that um, we're all kind of participating in bias. We're all kind of participating in implicit bias. And uh, it's very interesting to think about how there's, we're kind of letting go of guilt feelings and letting go of like uh, accusatory feelings, you know, pointing the finger there at others or ourselves, but rather taking responsibility for the <laughs> fact that we're perpetuating these ideas. And when we see their imprint, and when we see the way in which they have an effect on others, we can take responsibility for that and simply just move on and be, just say, we're not gonna commit to not doing that action again or not doing that thought again, it's kind of uprooting that thought so that then we're not perpetuating these kind of cycle of violence, the cycle of um, of, uh, of ignorance really, yeah. So, but tell us a little more about your creative process. Like how do you conceive of, do you think about a memory or do you think about um, what do you focus in on or a thought like something that's being, that's not being, um, a bridging a gap between what people understand and what you understand or what, what do you think is the process, yeah?
1: depends what I want to convey. Um, I know it also depends on the style, like my style is like hip-hop and poetry. I like mm. to rhyme within my flows, but you don't have to do that for people yeah. who are into poetry. But then I also noticed like all my pieces are like three minutes long. And the reason because it's like, that's like the youth Speaks in me, because like the youth Speaks taught me to be like, yo, make your poems three minutes. You don't have to do it three minutes, but that's my style. And the reason because like most poetry slams, the poems, the requirements are three minutes or less. So that's where, like, the style comes in. And then when the topics to write, like, I just, like, focus on, like, what I want to say. I'm all, I'm, always, I'm also a complex thinker. I always think about those intersections or those missing details that's, like, missing within the overall world. And, like, to have a poem about that. And within the Me Too conversations, it's usually, like, um... It's important to talk about that but it's like it's never a conversation about the individual accountability Mm. So that's why like I wrote that poem is like the accountability is like how to be accountable and not be a monster like David Bowie Um bill cosby, etc. Because like I know like individuals peoples have been perpetuators of violence and it's like The individualness is missing from that me too conversation So that's why I like added that like that poem to talk about the individual accountability Um, because like we also got it you know in violence too Um, not just like the celebrities it's like also systemic within our own lives
0: yeah yeah thank you thank you for that i think it's so important to remind people that you know it's so easy to point fingers and think like this is their problem it's their kind of uh, you know when we, we of course when we fight we should hold people accountable but more importantly we should hold ourselves accountable like we have the power to control ourselves and in what way do we do we um, make excuses for or neglect or turn a blind eye or what ways do we perpetuate thinking? Ultimately, it comes down to thinking. The thinking that we're perpetuating, we're holding up the underlying thoughts that allow for or create pathways for the actions, the word actions and the, and the physical actions that perpetuate rape culture or perpetuate mm-hmm. sexual violence culture that in what ways do we think to ourselves like, you know, boys will be boys, for example, mm-hmm. or was it was a perfect example of that. Uh, in what ways do we make excuses for boys who behave badly or men who behave badly or, or whatever it is, males who behave badly. Um, and we should, you know, you know, just, the, just like the way in which the dress code is slanted towards, um, you know, against like female identifying people wearing clothes that they perceive as quote unquote like you know scandalous or whatever it is and how that kind of perpetuates you know not teaching boys rather to be you know um more observant of their thoughts and behaviors yeah so it's interesting it's interesting that poem brings up a lot of different topics let's talk a little bit about intersectionality though intersection sectionality because you bring that up, you bring that term up a lot, and we kind of—I have a vague understanding of the term, but if you can explore a little bit of that and how—I my understanding of the term is that it has to do with uh, various identities we hold and the intersection, intersectionality, or something like that. But tell us a little bit more about your understanding and how that seems to be a major theme in this uh, in this conversation. So I'll just talk a little bit about that. Yeah.
1: Um, when I use the term intersectionality, it acknowledges, like, my various identity as a black person who's queer, transgender, and non-binary. Yeah. Um, within those identities, those, like, are separate experiences, but intersectionality just, like, acknowledges the full experience of that individual because mm-hmm. um, it's, like, I feel like it's one and the same, but it's, like, different. Um. When I, and I'm also I use asexual, that's also part of my identity, so yeah. it, it encompasses all of the experience of that individual person um of like their experiences acknowledging that whole experience of that individual um because like yeah
0: yeah thank you for that thank you that because i think it's important for people the listeners to be clear on definitions of words and understanding what you're saying and what we're saying we're talking about i think it's pretty clear in our conversation that we're talking about various identity uh politics and and kind of the idea of how many people are holding space for uh, many different identities. And that's true for everyone. Um, But I think that we're trying to expand the conversation so that then uh, the general conversation is not making assumptions that everyone's like us, rather understanding that people are different, people have different identities, and that even within different people's identities, there's various fractional elements that that we need to uh, be respectful of and understand we can learn a lot from people identified differently than us uh we can learn a lot from that i think our listeners should take heed to that that there's there's a lot to learn um from this conversation and from conversations around identity um so let me get your take on now we talked we it's pretty clear how in this conversation the personal is political we've talked i always kind of return to that theme it's pretty clear. It should be pretty clear how the person is political. Um, that you know, the experiences you've had are kind of part of the the, the communal aspects to them. But if you expand a little bit about that and your ideas about what your take on truth to power is, these two different phrases that are pretty central themes to the show, um, and people can kind of take your 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 take on that. So the two themes are being the personal is political. What is your interpretation or impression of that phrase? And what is your interpretation or impression of the phrase truth to power?
1: Um, personal is political. I believe that to be so because it's like the personal reality of like, you know, an example poverty or like racism. And it's like when you become political, political is, could be a metaphor or... Like, political is, like, a poem, or being a poet, or, like, being a doctor, or, like, some kind of advocacy work. And then within the advocacy work is, like, always drawn from, like, a personal experience. But unless you're for someone, like, with privilege, like, that's, like, a different conversation. But um, within, if you're, like, within a marginalized identity, then it's, like, personal, personable, because it's, like, you, like, live through it. And it's, like, the politicalness of that factor so it's like all entwined in the truth to power um it's like like having a platform like to tell your story and share um and like raising awareness is like giving power to like various identities and like what makes me unique because it's like i'm one of the only artists who talks about the hiv identity as well as the asexual aromantic and like those three identities are hardly talked about within the like having being a person living with a STI and then someone who's also asexual and aromantic um within those three identities of intersections is like hardly talked about within the mainstream culture and so like I bridge that gap by having people think differently about relationships as well as like the intersections of Being a person with an STI, as well as identifying as asexual and aromantic, um, and that's totally missing from the overall narratives of the world. I would love to meet asexuals who are STI people, um, sexual transmitted infection, uh, as well as aromantics who are living with an STI. I did meet one I do have one friend who's like born with HIV who's black and queer and identifies as demisexual. Uh, demi is also part of the a- or asexual community and it's like a different terminology. Uh, I always get it's always hard for me to explain because I don't identify as Demi it more as asexual and aromantic but it's part of the asexual community and um, and so it's like nice to like also have a friend who's like you no know, Demi. And you know, HIV positive since birth, black and queer, so it's like rare to have people who are asexual and aromantics living with an STI.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that definitely there's something value in understanding. As I've been saying this whole time, is that you know, there's a value to understanding that people who have different identities can offer each other that intersectionality that we all have, we all kind of have this overlapping experience, and you know, the, and identity really is fluid in a way. So in a way, it's like you have much to offer um, those, even to those who do not identify in those, uh, in those categorical understandings, but rather the human experience is so expansive. And so, so uh, and I think we're restrictive in a way culturally, we're very restrictive in a way, uh, in many ways, uh, to what, what is the, the scope of the human experience. And we need to kind of break down those boundaries and break down those barriers, um, both in our personal and our cultural lives. Um, so yeah, yeah. And also, I just want to say a couple of quick announcements for those listening. Um, so let's see. Um, if you live in New York City and want for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours. Designated with locals in mind, New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and those unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of the neighborhood and get personal recommendations through your guide. Tristan tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East L.G. Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about running tours and see the list of neighborhoods in full tour schedule, check out their website at cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Um, they probably have other cities as well. So I would check that out. Uh, what? Where do you live again? You're the Pacific, right? You're living the. You live rather on the West Coast, right? What, what? See,
1: Seattle or the Quamish territory.
0: Oh, cool, cool! That's great. So it's a very early morning for you, as as we know. Uh, this show airs at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but uh, there I think it's like six in the morning or something. So it's, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you so much for for we still have a few minutes. To, uh, but I just wanna say one more quick thing. Um, so uh, Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We support uh, community radio. Please support community radio by donating whatever you can afford to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. You can give a one-time donation or monthly pledge. All donations are tax deductible. Um, so now, let's see. What else is coming up for you as far as like, what else? Um, so, yeah, you, let's talk a little bit more about your business. Uh, you're talking a little bit about how, we talked a little bit about how um, you have the education uh, component to Positively Positive. Um, it's Education Productions. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about that and how, where people can follow you and find out more information. Uh, I
1: have an Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, patreon um my website my my website everything's positively positive education productions you could google search and everything will pop up um like my website and things like that uh i'm also having a fundraiser for the month of december for global giving so uh and then Raising funds to like continue the advocacy work uh, for Black people, for LGBTQ people, for asexuals, and aromantics, for HIV-positive people, disabled people. Um, so find me on Global Giving for the fundraising drive um, through Positively Positive Education Productions. Um, like, follow, share. Um, share my blog posts. Share my YouTubes. Um, Tell people about my work. Um, I'm willing to do presentations for your school Organizations to raise awareness about the HIV positive identity about the black experience the asexual Aromantic experience the queer and transgender experience
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm just looking at your blog. You have a nice blog with uh, wonderful different topics about um, and workshops I believe workshops um, do some workshops on, on poetry or on writing?
1: I can do workshops on poetry and writing good, as well good, as yeah. like identity as well as like college readiness um, how to get <laughs> how to get people connected to scholarships and resources so I also have experience with the college and academia world and I could help you out by finding grants um, I'm an excellent grant writer so I can also be a grant writer thank for your you. organization
0: great great thank you thank you um so let's see um yeah yeah and then why don't we listen to another poem and we'll end with that uh we'll kind of culminate with that with one more poem and then uh and then people can look up your work on your youtube channel and all that um but we'll end with one more work yeah
1: okay God, I need you. Please unclip sad and burdens to my angel wings. Breathe. Fly free in these streets. My body is burning. Suicide when my brother died. Truth, I swallow lies from society's pride. My words be boxers. Boxing their monsters, their manifest destiny, Monroe doctrine, justifying savagery. They be converting civilization from Babylonian to Nickelodeon. They be brainwashing the masses as colonizers guns shoot native sons worldwide. Africa, Jamaica, Philippines, third world struggle every struggle in our homes and at the U.S. Colonizers media shapeshift Pangea to evaporate our minds, zapping them to space like your people and my people's vanished memories. We're all missing that ancestral puzzle piece with indigenous roots like my braided struggle. Africa and my people disconnected, to so abuse runs deep in the bodies of shadows. His brother, like my brother, his sister, like my sister, are all victims of that bottle. Some use drugs just to heal. Even my mom lived homeless for six weeks just to please a man who wrote love on scarlet letters to rectify society's dream. A man's place in the world is to control, dominate his family like black folks, masters whipping them as slaves. God, how do I heal? How do my people heal? What is the solution? My solution is to speak. Speak bonics like a soliloquy to be birth black coup. Black theology to blink eyelids like islands to orchestrate revolts like not Turner, soldier of truth, says the soldier. All rebels for the cause, so I spit truth like Malcolm. My body will never be your star sprinkled stripes because first I am black African. I spit angel truth to have people's angel wings breathe, fly free.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Good, good. And um, let's talk, let's kind of end the conversation with the pandemic and how uh, kind of how we're kind of, you know, how you experienced 2020 as we started going to go into the new year. Uh, it's very close to the new year this time, it's September 20, 28th. Um, what are some of your kind of goals for the new year? And what was your experience of 2020? Is looking back over the year, had you experienced the pandemic and and all these different uh, states, you know, people have made widely different uh, ex- experiences during the this year. Um, so why don't we go a little bit into that? Yeah, thank you.
1: COVID-19 has been really sad within all of those the deaths that's happening. And also learning about like my friends and family members who had COVID-19 and some of them. Having had died and doing my part, making sure like wearing masks and like washing surfaces, mm. um, always checking in with people's boundaries about whether there needs to have to be safe, um, within the COVID-19 reality. Um, and also since then, I feel like my entrepreneurial career has you know taken form. But then that like the the, op- the openness of like having community online. So I've been to a lot of events online and that's been really nice to build community and also having the accessibility of like, oh yeah, if you're like disabled, you can watch an event online because like a lot of disabled people can't go to an event because of a lot of the barriers of like transportation or if the space is wheelchair accessible. So it's nice to have an online option so people could access the event online and it seems like more inclusive or like geared towards you know, having events online, but we still got a lot of work to do. I also feel like disabled people have been saying these things for thousands and thousands of years and, like, finally a pandemic, people starting to take notice about Mm. the needs of um, that's, like, having accessible spaces of like telework from home but like we had to have a pandemic to like have the option to telework from home and disabled people were saying these for thousands of years so hopefully like more initiatives around accessibility um will take form and like my hope for the future liberation for all people i want to get that money into the hands of homeless people into the hands of poor people into like black indigenous people of color communities um, as well as like LGBT communities on um, making sure like the poverty, like making sure people have access to food that's like we all trying to eat, we all trying to have housing. Um, and that's important. So I hope for the future of like having more money in the pockets of marginalized communities. Uh,
0: yeah yeah, thank you so much. That was really good and really good to uh, think about how we understand that um, the gravity, both of you know, to be respectful of people and their, Where they're at in regards to COVID-19, it's so easy to be like, you know, dismissive of, um, you know, kind of the, you know, some many people have been kind of questioning the social distancing and and the masks. But these are things that they have real consequences um, when we have a, a disease that's been spreading so rapidly and so pervasive, and we want to be respectful of people and kind of do our part in this community. To prevent the spread of the disease as much as we can um, and kind of be responsible and be respectful of, of the kind of uh, climate we're living in. Uh, but as far as next year and the kind of, we, a lot of people fall into like new year resolutions and such. Do you have any outlooks for what's coming up for yourself in the new year? Any resolutions, I mean?
1: Um, I'd like to publish my two books. Um, The first book is A Study of Art Experience in Ghana, where I talk about the HIV-AIDS stigma within Ghanaian culture and society. Another one's A Survival Guide um, for LGBTQ youth, um, especially those who are living with HIV. As a youth, young person, like in middle school, um, and also to go on tour within my art, and poetry to spread the gospel about the black asexual hiv positive aromantic identities and queer and trans identities
0: thank you thank you good luck to you and warm wishes because i think that we can all learn a little bit from your experience and that it shouldn't be something that uh it's about you or us or us or them it's about the human experience and i think that's very good so uh you know i hope that i hope that the, these these uh, projects and these ambitions come to fruition so um this has been the truth to power show and ready for brooklyn we've been talking to uh positively positive you, uh, listeners can find out more about them uh through uh, uh positively positive education productions.net um the youtube channel is probably linked there uh facebook uh instagram uh Positively positive education. Um, it also has a They also have a Patreon. Uh, positive positive education productions. Um, so yeah, I hope people will follow you and look up. And uh, also, just want to tell people that uh, I've been producing the Nine Cloud Journal, uh, so people can look that up on ninecloudjournal.org. Um, it's a journal in which we are spotlighting. Issue issue one came out in August of twenty twenty where we spotlighted uh, poems and essays and uh, memoir pieces uh, that uh, focused in on the height of the pandemic, uh, focused on how the personal is political. And now for issue two, we're, we're soliciting um, pieces that are drama pieces written for the page. So stage to page kind of thing, bridging the gap between performance and, uh, and written work so I encourage anyone who does any kind of performative work to submit to Nine Cloud Journal. Um, it's a free uh, submission. And you go to uh, submittable.com slash journal, or I believe it's uh, ninecloudjournal.submittable.com. And then uh, we'll have issue two out next year, early next year, probably in the first quarter. And then uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We're just about to end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So take care, everyone. So hope to see you again next week, Mondays at 8 a.m. Thank you.